Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Jake Shapiro of Nobel Press. This is Matt and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Jake, uh, thanks so much for agreeing to, to be on the podcast. Uh, why don't you uh, lead us off with a little bit of uh, background about yourself, uh, comics, and, and working for Nobrow? Hey, well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, well, my background, I mean, the reason that I even know you guys is because uh, I used to run a comic shop down in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, Phantom Comics, where I was the manager there for four years. Um, that's where I met Matt. Um, but I... As much I love, I love DC. I love it's my hometown. I love running a comic shop. I love the art scene down there. But I knew I didn't want to work retail the rest of my life. So uh, I knew I had to get into publishing at some point. And uh, you know, there was a while where I was just applying. I was on all these listservs, applying to all these things for all these publishers, and nothing ever happened. You know, you think like, oh, it's the age of the internet. You can do anything from anywhere. But I really wasn't getting anything from DC. And as much as I love DC, there's no publishers in the city. So I moved up to New York um, and I uh, grinded it out working for a bookstore up in New York for a year, uh, the Strand Bookstore, which is the probably the biggest and oldest independent bookstore in New York. And uh, eventually one of my acquaintances came through and asked, you know, there was an opening came up at No Brow Press, which is uh, where I work now. And um, yeah, No Brow is a small British comics and children's book publisher. And I uh, work for the U.S. office of it, which is pretty tiny. I think mm-hmm. there's about maybe 15 people in the uh, main office in London. And then the New York office is literally just me and one other person. Wow. Um, yeah. And so we do all the U.S. and Canada sales and marketing for this British publisher. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, what they brought me on to do because I've spent pretty much my entire adult life doing retail. So sales and marketing is kind of what I, you know, it's what I, what I know. And now I'm just doing it from the other end, from the publisher end. Very cool. That's really cool. Did you um, did you get to meet anyone from Nobrow at like conventions and stuff like that in order to get the job, or was it all done just sort of over the airwaves? Um, yeah, I did actually. It's it's funny because for as you know as much as I try to make connections online, that the connect the connection that finally got me the job was at uh, Small Press Expo like five years ago. Uh, yeah, I think it was Small Press Expo 2014. I, uh, I met Jeff Lapid, who's the, who's my boss now. He's the, the kind of the head of the, uh, no brows U S office. He's the U S sales and marketing manager. Um, and he was just, you know, running their table at the show there five years ago. And I, I would see him periodically at various comic festivals, you know, maybe a couple times a year since, you know, in the intervening time. And, uh, at some point I think I just told him like, Hey, I've been thinking about, getting into publishing. I think he always knew that I, that I was, but we weren't ever really close friends. But then when I moved up to New York a little over a year ago, the first thing I did when I got to the city was try to get coffee with all the comics people I knew in New York. And he was one of them. And he was like, Hey, you know, maybe eventually down the line, um, if I can clear it with the home office in England, maybe I'll be able to, you know, have a, have an open spot in the office. And at the time I didn't think anything of it. I thought he was just being polite. Um, but then, uh, you know, like eight, nine months later, he came through and said, Hey, are you still interested in that job I talked about forever ago? And, uh, it came through. Um, I think it helps that it's a tiny publisher and with the U S office currently being just me and him, uh, I, I think that he, 
wanted it to be someone that he knew he would get along with that they hired. I think he knew that maybe there was someone with a longer resume than me that they, that they could have hired, but because he made the connection with me and he saw the work that I had done working for Phantom in DC, he kind of knew I was a, a known quantity and I knew what I was doing and my heart was in it. And so he brought me on. I think the plan eventually hopefully is to expand the U S office more, but for now it's just two people. Very cool. And I know that from your time at Phantom, you were very uh, instrumental in sort of the uh, the local press and the small press area that, that Phantom had. Like, did any of that sort of play into the fact that you were you were doing things with uh, smaller scale um, creators, even when you were working for like a retail store that was very much, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a customer of a Phantom, but it's very much, you know, mainstream superhero dominant. Uh, store and you were you had carved out that little section do you so do you think a little bit of that uh, helped you out there yeah for sure I think uh making a splash at phantom was a huge part of what got me the job um coming I mean I guess if you if you rewind even farther the reason I started working at phantom was because so I, had, I majored in film in college um I didn't go to film school I was just film at a big public university and I didn't know what I was doing with my life after college and I ended up uh, running a little art house movie theater. Um, cause I guess, uh, studying film translated to me like popping popcorn at a movie theater. Um, and so I spent like two years running this, this, uh, tiny little movie theater and, um, and, uh, eventually I guess, uh, run, running a struggling arty little business in the movie theater translated to doing the same thing in comics. Um, I think the comic scene really resonated with me specifically the indie comic scene. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really grow up reading a lot of comics. And I think that's why I've never felt the connection to mainstream superhero comics that a lot of people do. I think growing up, I loved uh, like newspaper comic strips. Like I, I love Calvin and Hobbes. I would, in the Washington Post, I would read the comic strips every day, especially on Sunday when you get the two huge section of comics. Um, but comic book comic books were never really a thing for me until I was working at this movie theater and it was kind of like not a great period of my life. Um, I was going through like a rocky relationship and uh, someone had left a bunch of old comics in the box office at the theater and I ended up just reading a bunch of them and uh, and then just like through Tumblr at the time actually I feel like Tumblr RIP Tumblr I feel like that was a big thing for really getting me into the comic scene just because it I mean I, I love the art I love the storytelling but I really like the community of it um, I would love that I would find an artist I would like and if you would if you would follow them on social media then they would be sharing stuff by other artists that they like, and it would be this really cool rabbit hole where you, where, you know, it's really people supporting people. And because everyone knows there's not a lot of money in it. So anyone who's in it is really in it because they love it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I guess there's always going to be people that are in it because they're hoping their thing will get turned into a TV show or something. Uh, but I feel like that's really in the minority of people who are in the comic scene. Um, so when I came to Phantom, uh, I mean, I, I can't take full credit. Really, it was Esther Kim. Uh, my predecessor, who was the main manager. Now she works for Boom Studios over in LA. Um, she had really recently come into this superhero-focused comic store and was like, you know what, I want this to look more like me. I, uh, she made it a more progressive, inclusive space. And really, in the 21st century, when everyone can get everything online, um, we, I think we know that the only thing that makes a brick-and-mortar store any different is the human element of it. I think that people know that it's not just a transactional thing. You're not just walking into a comic shop to buy the comics and leave. I think they want kind of a value added. So for us, we knew the community was huge. Um, and that, I mean, we really, 
piece that together with book clubs, workshops. And it was really just things that we were into because we were working a lot of hours a week for not a lot of money. So it was, uh, it was all for the love. And, um, and yeah, and I also, DC has kind of a weird art scene because there are a lot of great artists in DC, but I think people assume that because it's a government town uh, that they can't make it there. A lot of the big artists from DC end up moving up to New York to try to make it. And I think for, for me personally, because it's my hometown, I really wanted people to see that they could be in DC and still be part of a thriving art community. Mm-hmm. So I think it really, I felt an obligation to the city to help build up the scene there. Um, and so part of me does feel kind of guilty for running off to New York. If there were publishers in DC, I would have stayed in DC, but uh, <laughs> there's a, well, there's Retrofit Comics, which is run by uh, our Crosstown Rivals, Big Planet, but that's, and I love them. They're, that's really only like two or three guys. I don't think there's a lot of uh, space for new hires there. Um, and yeah, so I think that, uh, I think that even though Phantom is not a very big comic shop, I think that because of all the event stuff that we did, uh, I think that the, pe- the people in the comic scene nationwide were able to take Because really, a lot of comic shops like don't have a great handle on how to, I mean, they're not just comic shops, but small businesses in general, um, I don't know, don't have a great handle on how to do their social media. I think for businesses, it's tough because if you, if you have a social media presence, it's like, how do you make this more than just a giant ad for yourselves? And I think with Phantom, we really injected the humanity of it into mm-hmm. it, um, that people got the impression like, oh, this comic shop is promoting these books because they personally really like it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that people really took note of that. And I think that helped a lot in me uh, getting noticed by Nobrow and picked up for a job. Sorry, that was a very roundabout way of answering your question. Oh, no, that was a good answer. Were you, um, have you always been involved um, in like sort of social media stuff? Was that something that you started right away when you got into Phantom? Was doing social media? I, I mean, I never, I don't think I grew up ever thinking myself as, of myself as particularly social media savvy. I just... I feel like anyone who's in my general age range has got it. Like you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be have a certain level of social media literacy just by being, you know, um, you know, of the of the millennial, I guess what slash Generation Z uh, persuasion these days. And I, I think the big thing for me with Phantom that made the difference was that the owners of Phantom uh, really trusted us, the employees to do what we wanted. And they really gave us a lot of free reign to do what we wanted to do with the store. I think that was in a bigger company. I would not have been able to do that. I think I was really lucky that Phantom was a pretty small store. And the way when it came in, there was Esther who was the main manager. Um, She's kind of my life career mentor. Um, And then there's the two major, the two majority owners at the time uh, who were really mostly hands off and mostly, you know, did backend stuff. But they, I think they trusted Esther and they trusted me uh, to be able to, that, that we knew comics better than they did and we knew the community. And, you know, when we did social media stuff, it boosted our sales of our books and they let us keep doing what we're doing. Um, and then Esther left to go work for a comics publisher and I took on the full reins. And uh, yeah, I think that was probably just a really great bonus of working for a really tiny business that allowed me to do what I wanted to do. I don't know. I feel like it was pretty, pretty blessed circumstances, but I don't know if I'd be able to fall into any other way. Um, so yeah, it was hard when I moved up to New York and started working for the strand, which is an independent bookstore, but it's huge. It has like 200 employees. Um, 
And uh, now that I'm back at Nobrow, where I'm literally working with one other person, it, it does, uh, it's nice. It reminds me of being at Phantom again. And even if you include all the people in London, that's only another 15 people. As far as publishers go, it's pretty small. Very cool. Um, so what are some of the differences between working in a comic book store and working in a, like, a, like a bookstore, like a prose bookstore? Um, you know, it was, I, it, I think it was really healthy for me now that I'm in publishing that I did both. Mm -hmm. um, cause the direct market is always the direct market comic book stores are always going to be, I mean, that's the most hardcore fans that are shopping there. Um, and a lot of, the, a lot of those people end up being kind of the trendsetters for what people read, you know, globally. Um, but they're really still only a tiny part of the market. Um, I think publishers all know that the book book market is where everything's going. Even Marvel and DC, they're starting to put out more stuff that's aimed more at the book market, not at the direct market, not at comic book stores. I think that it was great to have this specialized knowledge of comics. And then once I was, once I started working at a regular bookstore, seeing, seeing comics in the context of all books was really cool. I was actually very pleasantly surprised at how many regular readers, like not, not comics nerds like me, how many regular readers still read a lot of graphic novels. Um, while, I was, while I was at the Strand, I worked specifically <laughs> on their, uh, on their second floor, which is all, comics and graphic novels, as well as art books and children's books. Um, and then I did a lot of the buying in of their, uh, of their used comic books. I guess that was another big thing with working at a bookstore was Fanson actually doesn't do any used comics at all. And then going to a, a bigger independent bookstore, uh, used, used book, used graphic novels as a whole other market. And it wasn't even like back issue, single issue used comics. It was like old volumes of Preacher and like, old, like a lot of old trade paperbacks um, that there's still a pretty surprise, like huge market for. Um, but I think it's really good to work, to have spent the time working in the bookstore. Cause yeah, it helped uh, kind of broaden my horizons and see where comics fit into the, uh, to the greater world of books. Um, and also working in a, the, the strand has a pretty huge children's section and seeing how it all fits into children's books and kind of the crossover between children's books and comics and children's comics and there's a lot of books that are kind of in that in-between ground. Um, that's, that was really great as well. And now that I work for Nobrow, Nobrow is a graphic novel publisher, but they put out a lot of children's books as well. Children's comics, but they also just put out like picture book, picture books as well. Um, so my time working at a bookstore uh, really helped me in that regard. Cause that was something that I did not pick up on nearly as much at Phantom. Yeah. It sounds like you were destined to work at Nobrow with like how like uh yeah, you have like a pretty, like pretty, like it seems to fit with the brand of the books that they sell there, you know. So uh, could you explain sort of like what, uh, like I guess, because it's your job, um, like could you yeah. sell us on No no Brow or like, like you know, what, what are the products like that you guys so, like pitch? Yeah, so No Brow is a pretty young uh, publisher. I think they just celebrated their, ten, their 10th anniversary a couple years ago. They're a young London-based publisher that puts out visual books really it's anything that falls along the, vi the visual illustrated book spectrum it's comics graphic novels it's picture books it's like non-fiction illustrated books uh and really the main through line with all their books the thing holding it all together is that everything nobrow puts out is really aesthetically pleasing and design oriented um mm -hmm. and uh like the the print quality is always really good they always pay a lot of attention to the paper stock and the ink that's, that's used to print the books in the binding because i think you know, I think that they, uh, I think they really know that in an age where people can read everything on their tablet or their phone, that anyone who cares enough to be 
to buy a physical book wants the physical book to be like a nice artifact. Yeah. Um, and that's really great. And it, I mean, and it carries through not just to the way stuff is printed, but then to the, the types of artists that they tend to, to publish tend to be artists with a really kind of design focus in their work. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, ba that's basically it. Uh, they're one of the biggest UK based publishers. And I feel like that's kind of another angle to what they bring to the table is a lot of their books are like very British in tone, mm -hmm. um, which can be a plus and a minus. It's great because it definitely gives it a perspective. Um, I think right now, Nobrow as a publisher is looking to see like, where can we, where can we grow in the, uh, in the North American market? Cause they have a pretty big foothold on the, on the UK comic scene. And they know that if they're going to do a lot of expansion, it's a lot of it's going to have to be over here. Um, yeah. And people know, like, and, and if you have a Netflix account, you know about at least one of the properties that, yeah, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's been, Hilda was a big, is a big deal on Netflix. That's been the, the big yeah. break for the publisher. And by far, yeah. Nobrow's most famous uh, work is Hilda. Um, so Nobrow actually, Nobrow is the main publisher, but their children's imprint is Flying Eye Books. It's really just the same company, just uses a different name mm -hmm. for the kids' books, Flying Eye. Um, and, but at this point, the kids' books end up being a bigger deal than the adult books just because that market is so much bigger. And yeah, um, Luke Pearson is a, an English illustrator who did this series called Hilda. And it's been, it's uh, six graphic novels now. And then it recently got turned into a Netflix TV show that they just announced is going to be renewed for a second season. Great. So we're very excited for that. And uh, yeah, that's huge. I think the, the way that people like to market that is it's like Gravity Falls, but British, um, <laughs> which I don't know. I can see where they're coming from with that. It's very, it, I like it because I think part of it is the Britishness of it is I feel like it doesn't, I don't know. It's a lot of American cartoon comedy shows are very like bam, bam, bam. Like let's have a joke every line. And Hilda's a little bit more, a little bit more subdued in the tone and also the color palette of it. Um, I like it a lot. And it, it also doesn't, I don't know, it, it trusts kids that kids are smart enough to figure stuff out for themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't feel like it's dumbing itself down for kids. While at the same time, it doesn't feel like, I think there's some kids things that are really kind of for adults where that they know, they know a huge part of their audience is adults. And for Hilda, a big part of the audience is adults too, but there's not any of that like winking at the camera, like, whoa, look at this cultural reference we're making that only the grownups will make, will get. Um, it doesn't really do that either. Um, and Hilda has been huge for us because it's really opened us up to a lot of, a lot, a lot more people uh, know who we are now. And also with it, I mean, this is kind of a back-end thing, but up until recently, uh, Nobrow used a pretty small distributor in the, in the United States. But as of like a year and a half ago, Penguin is now, just, uh, Penguin Random House is now our distributor. And that is big for us because Penguin Random House is the biggest publisher and mm, yeah. they, um, and the biggest distributor and they give us access to a whole new realm of bookstores and libraries and schools. Um, it makes it a lot easier for us to reach a lot more people. Um, so actually a lot of my day to day is dealing actually directly with our distributor paying random house. And really I sell the books to, to people. I sell the books to bookstores, but also I'm selling the books to our, our distribution reps too, which is not very sexy, but that's where the growth is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you and I have met, only once before. Now you probably don't remember me because I was one of the thousands of faces at, at Small Press Expo recently. But uh, one of the books I wanted to talk about that you guys had, you were lucky you had AJ um, at, 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 at Small Press Expo. Was oh, yeah. That book is beautiful. Would you, yeah, could you, you pitch us that book? Because that book is amazing. Yeah, that's, that's probably the book that I'm personally the most excited about every, out of everything we published recently. Um, it came out back in June. 
Um, it's the debut graphic novel by AJ Dungo, who's an LA-based uh, graphic designer. Um, and it's a graphic memoir about, I think he, he says it's about uh, love, death, and surfing. Um, it's uh, really half of it is a uh, personal memoir about using surfing to cope with grief. And the other half of it is the, the history of surfing in Hawaii and how it was commercialized. Um, and the two stories kind of intertwine. I really love it. Um, and it's, it's been kind of a little bit tough to market because it's actually, it's his real life. Uh, and he doesn't change any of the names of the characters. And it's this guy who I just met and it's, the book just came out in June and the events from this book are only a few years old. Um, it's about, you know, his, his girl, his longtime girlfriend, um, dies of cancer and it's like, you know, they bonded over surfing and then him using surfing to cope with it after her death. Um, it's really gorgeous and really sad. And then also there's this whole aspect of, uh, the history of surfing that it's also about. And I, uh, I didn't know anything about surfing before reading this book and it's, you know, it sent me on a long Wikipedia rabbit hole afterwards. Um, a lot of it is how like native Hawaiians use surfing as sort of a political statement against uh, white colonizers in Hawaii in the 1800s. And then I don't know how, like how their culture was co-opted by uh, as, as Hawaii became a bigger tourist destination for Americans. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's really cool. And another low key thing that I really love about it is AJ in his past life was a sneaker designer. And so the book is not about sneakers at all, but all of the shoes that the characters wear in the book are all really well designed. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I remember you pointing that out to me. That's a really cool. Yeah. Detail. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what you just described is a great example of that. Uh, comic books is a, a medium to tell stories. You can tell, you can tell any story you want to tell in comics. You don't, you don't have to tell a Batman story where he's punching guys in the neck. You can, you can, combine all of these elements and, and put it together and it's you know a progression of pictures um you know sequentially to, to tell a story so i think that is like you know a great example of it yeah and it's i mean it's uh it's pretty interesting as well because it's his first ever comics work and uh you know before that he had really only done a lot of design illustration which makes sense because a lot of the people that we because of that kind of the nobrow aesthetic we go mm -hmm a lot for people who had come from that sort of graphic design background. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't really, we don't really put out anything that's very uh, superhero-y um, and there's nothing, nothing supernatural happens in it at all. Um, but we, I mean, we've got books with some weird supernatural stuff, but we don't have any traditional superhero stuff per se. Well, it's important to, you know, it's, it's just important to let people know that they're, this medium isn't just limited to the the Marvel Cinematic Universe's source material, that kind of thing. You know, my my wife, one of the, the big things when we started dating was just like, I told her that I wanted to be a comic book artist and she would just rolled her eyes. And um, it took her like finding like image books, basically, that weren't superheroes to realize like, holy crap, this medium has so much more to offer. And uh like her favorite, one of her favorite graphic novels is by this like German illustrator and he did the life of Johnny Cash. That kind oh, yeah. of beautiful book. And, yeah. I uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So, sorry. I was going to say, I, I feel like people think of comics as a genre where really comics, you know, they're a medium. They're about everything. Yeah. And yeah, I think the popularity of superhero movies gives people a misconception that that's all that they're about. But really there's comic, you know, it really bums me out when people say they don't like comics because I think 
there are comics out there for everyone. They just don't know they're there. And, and comics a lot of times struggle to market themselves too um, and struggle to show people that they're there. Um, and yeah, when I was running Phantom Comics, we could probably run the whole store just selling Saga um, from Image Comics. Uh, Image does a really great job of bridging the gap between, uh, between indie comics and superhero comics because they do some more superhero stuff as well, but then they do you know, more literary things. And then they do stuff like Saga that is very pulpy and based in genre fiction, but it's you know, but it definitely uh, is not a superhero comic. Um, you guys don't, yeah, and you guys sell, like, you know, you guys are so visually based at No Brow. Um, one of the cool things that you guys sell are those um, those gatefold stories. Yeah. Those yeah, are I mean, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, we haven't published one of those in a few years, but, uh, but yeah, we've always played with, uh, with printing styles. And, yeah, the, um, I think it's called Laparello is the, is the style. Uh, that the, they're they're kind of accordion style where they all it's almost like a really long brochure yeah um, <laughs> and uh yeah i mean we we like our things to be cool visual objects that maybe tell stories in a non-traditional way um but we do i mean probably the closest thing to mainstream comics that we've done and probably one of the first things that i paid attention to from no Brown when i was working at phantom is uh like they do this series called fantasy sports by sam bosma that uh it's kind of uh, like Sailor Moon crossed with Space Jam crossed with uh, Indiana Jones. Wow. It's like, great. Pitch. it's uh yeah, it's about, a, it's like a, a kid who uh, wants to get a bunch of treasure from a, from a, from an ancient Egyptian tomb, but to get it, they have to, to beat the Pharaoh in a basketball game. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so we, I mean, we do we do some more accessible stuff too. It's not all like really abstract, high-minded um, kind of things. And I think independent comics also struggle that sometimes they can feel overly clickish in that same way of like sometimes they can feel too arty and inaccessible, and they'll kind of look, kind of look down their nose at people who uh, maybe grew up with superhero comics, and or, you know, it's like, oh, you don't you don't know the full works of Charles Burns? Maybe uh, you don't deserve <laughs> to read this. So. Um, you know, you find that with every every little subculture, there's always some gatekeeping, and you I don't know, you always have to do work to make it more accessible. Um, so, and I feel like at Phantom, we really tried to hit the balance between the two of those, because um, yeah, because I think superhero comics' biggest appeal is that they are they are super accessible to everyone. Oh I think yeah. Sometimes, like I love I love No Brow's work, and it can appeal to anyone, but I think a lot of people just don't even know they're there in the first place. Yeah. Um, and maybe they can feel maybe. Um, they, maybe they feel scared off by the fact that these books are so weird and out there. And so it's my job to tell them, no, you can read it too. <laughs> You're so, really good at that. Yeah. So, keep it up. So Thank to you. continue with that, like uh, what is your like con presence? Like I know that Noah and I got the chance to t- speak to you at SPX and I'm sure that yeah. that's like a, that's like a big show for you, but are you guys like, uh, are you guys struggling for, for eyeballs at like big cons, like, like your New York uh, comic con or, or anything like um, that? So we don't, we don't, I, we, I say we don't do every con, but we end up doing a fair amount. Uh, the two huge cons for us are small press expo in Maryland. And then uh, the Toronto comics art festival okay. in Toronto, which if you've never been, it's a very similar crowd to SPX. Okay. Um, it's uh, I actually, I, I, it's kind of sacrilege being from DC and that uh, SPX is the hometown show, but I, I like TCAF a little bit better. Um, Cause like, instead of being in the middle of an ocean of suburbs in uh, North Bethesda, Maryland, it's like in the middle of downtown Toronto. 
Okay. And it's free to the and it's free to the public as well. Oh wow! Um, if you've never been, I highly recommend it. I love that show. I uh, I've gone up to that even before working for Nobrow. I would go to TCAF every year just because I like the show so much, and I love Toronto. I think a lot of Americans write off Toronto because it's in Canada, so it's as if it doesn't exist. But <laughs> it's a it's a super great, super international city. It's really if you're coming from DC or Baltimore, there's uh, really cheap flights to get to get you over there. Um, yeah, I, I really love that show. So those two shows are the big, big shows because those are the most prestigious independent comics festivals in North America. Um, and uh, aside from that, for us, we'll we'll do most of the New York shows just because we're already in New York. So it's mm-hmm. easy right. for us to do them. Uh, so we just did, you know, we did Brooklyn Book Festival the other weekend, which is not a huge show, but, you know, we're already in New York, so may as well do it. Um, Mocha and... Um, which is in Man- it's a smaller independent comic show in Manhattan and uh, Comic Arts Brooklyn, which is another smaller show in Brooklyn. And both of those are small enough shows that, you know, maybe if our office wasn't in New York, we wouldn't travel to them. But, you know, we're here and we want to be part of the indie comic scene. So we do it. Our big thing is next weekend, we are going to be at New York Comic Con for all four days, but we're not running a traditional table for ourselves. We're actually going to be um, the, one of the production companies for the uh, Hilda animated series on Netflix uh, is making a new, a huge line of Hilda merch. And we're actually going to be running a booth with that company that does all the merch for Hilda, selling all this brand new Hilda merch, along with the Hilda graphic novels. But we're not going to be selling the rest of our line. It'll just be solely Hilda focus. And it's really this bigger, this much bigger company running it. And they just, since they've licensed our property, we're, they just invited us to be a part of it to help them table it because they know that we know Hilda. Um, so yeah, so that one, that one's kind of a weird show cause it, we are tabling there, but it's, but, uh, it, it's under some pretty weird circumstances. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, cause I think for us, we are, since we're not a huge mainstream publisher, I think the, uh, the, the, the big like awesome cons and Baltimore comic cons are not really our thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, we always want to make connections in the indie comic scene. And then over in the UK, there's actually a big independent comics festival in London, LCAF, the East London Comic Arts Festival, that Nobrow puts together. Oh wow! Um, so they host the whole thing, um, and and the, you know and they have uh, presence at other big indie comic shows in the UK, like Thought Bubble. Um, but yeah, but as far as uh, North America goes, that that's what we do. Um, I, you know, cons cons are. A thing where it's it's good for us to make money, but also they're just good to to meet fans and make connections with people. And I think for us, uh, because we don't have big uh, we don't have any big superhero properties, uh, the shows are best for us when we have some of our actual cartoonists there to really make that human connection. Like we had mm-hmm. at SPX, we had AJ Dungo, and then we had Molly Mendoza who did another great recent book called Skip. Um, and both of those were great because we had both those people on hand to really, I think a lot of people who are buying books at shows. I, I know even for myself as a customer, when I'm at shows, I like it a lot better when I can talk to the people that made the books themselves. I don't want, I don't want to talk to the publishers. I mean, and I, I am a publisher, but I don't know if I were a fan, I wouldn't care about talking to me. I want to talk to the, to the people who made it. Right. on. So, um, we're sort of like a uh, creator focused uh like making comics podcasts do you have yeah. any advice for anybody who would who's listening to this who might think that like uh uh no brow is the place for their their project is there anything that you would suggest in the submission process or anything that you have to like just submitting or, or to a publisher in general 
Yeah, well, we're, I mean, we're always looking for new talent since we are a pretty small publisher and a lot of stuff we publish is the first major published work by these artists. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we don't, we're not over relying on huge names or anything. So yeah, we're always open to submissions from people. Um, if you go on our website, nobrow.net, uh, we have a, a whole section there for submission guidelines, which I think we've recently updated. Um, if, I mean, we're looking for, we're always looking for new art styles, but if you know Nobrow, you know, you know, I think, I think most artists probably know if their art kind of fits in the Nobrow aesthetic or not. Yeah. Um, really, it's the, it's like the pictures just have to be really pretty. Um, this is the biggest thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, and for, for writers, I like, if, if you're a writer and you've got something, you've got a great pitch, that's really great as well. Um, but definitely for artists, I feel like those are the, those are people that we're more seeking out, uh, actively all the time, whether, whether it is to publish your book that you're working on or to just have, you know, have you in our Rolodex of like, Oh, we have this project coming up. We're looking for a good illustrator for it. Um, and I think a lot of our artists that we publish those, that's the way that we publish a lot of their first work is a project maybe that's written by someone else or a project that has a few different illustrators on it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and we, we bring them aboard for that. Uh, we do have, I mean, for writers, we do have, it's not comics writing, but we did just launch a, a short story writing competition. Uh, we're looking to publish a few more prose books. We've only done a couple of those in the past. And uh, so we're going to be putting out a, a short story anthology where we're uh, doing a short story competition to get writers in there, to get our eyes on new people. And um, I think we don't know, since this is our first time doing it, we don't know what to expect. But I think if you're a writer looking to get the game and you give us something you like, you know, maybe we'll keep you in mind for uh, future stuff. So I definitely, definitely go check that out. That one, it does have cash prizes. I think the grand prize, it's since they're British, the, the uh, grand prize is 2000 pounds, which is like $2,400. And then each of the other, each of the other contributors that are included in the anthology get 150 pounds, which is like 180 bucks. Nice. The uh, conversion rate actually works out in, in Americans uh, favor this time. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, yeah, so we, we definitely are always looking for new people, always keeping our eyes peeled. And I think as, as kind of a young energetic publisher, we're always looking for people that provide new perspectives of stuff that we haven't seen before. Um, and stuff that really feels different. Very cool. Um, so I think we covered a, a lot of uh, a lot of your history and a lot of uh, the the aspects of publishing with uh, publishing in general and, and the stuff that Nobrow is doing. Um, do you have anything you want to, to say to any, to the listeners uh, as we close up? Um, I mean, I, for I mean, if you're a if you're a creator who's looking to get in the game, I'd say if you have not read our stuff, check it out because I I feel like Nobrow's kind of our big edge is that we're, I don't know, I think we try to, we try to show people that the medium can be a lot of different things. And uh, just because you don't fit in, you don't fit into the pigeonhole of what mainstream comics think you should be, doesn't mean that you, that there's not a place for you somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, just get out there. I mean, I've, I mean, from my personal experience, for myself and for a lot of the artists we publish, so much of it is just like getting, putting yourself out there, go to cons. I mean, the way I got my job was just meeting people at cons. Um, Really, I, you know, it's hard because I know that comics can be a very solitary thing. You know, a lot of it's sitting at home by yourself working on this. Um, but so much of, I mean, not just for networking, but also just for like the reason I love, like the reason I love the comic scene is 
I, I love comics, but even more, it's, I love the people. I love being around the community. Um, so just like get out there, say hi to people. Even if someone, even if you think someone, you know, this is some famous artist I really love and I, I'm too scared to say anything to them. Most of those people are not actually famous. They're only famous in this tiny sliver of society that cares about comics. No one's recognizing them at the grocery store. So, you know, you never know where your, where your connections will take you. Um, get out there, say hi to your favorite people, your favorite publishers, your favorite artists. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably the, the biggest uh, piece of advice I have. Very cool. I know that you had mentioned uh, the No Brow website, but uh, do you want to shout out, uh, you know, your various uh, social media uh, links? And we'll make sure that we put all of these in the, the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, nobrow.net is the website. And then for the kids books, Flying Eye Books, it's just flyingeyebooks.com. And uh, for No Brow on uh, Twitter, Instagram, all the things, it's just No Brow Press. And uh, Flying Eye Books is just Flying Eye Books on all the things. Um, so yeah, check it. Uh, I'll, I post on there sometimes, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the place to be. And, uh, and, uh, I guess, I don't know. You can find me on Twitter at Jake underscore Shapiro or Instagram at Jacob Shapiro. And that's about it. Very cool. Noah, do you have uh, any last questions? Nope. Just want to say thanks for coming on and pitching everything again. It's, it's pretty great to hear about No Brow and do your history as well and to hear your passion for the medium and the publisher. It's very inspiring. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. And if anybody wants to give us a follow, we're going to post some, some images from, from No Brow stuff. We are on Twitter at Construct Compod. We are on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod, and we are on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Constructing Comics. We have a YouTube channel under the same name of Constructing Comics, where we do some of our more visually heavy episodes, and uh, I'll have links to both the No Brow stuff, Jake's stuff, and our stuff in, in the show notes. So I'd like to thank Jake one more time for, for being on and encourage everybody to go out there and make some comics, and we'll be back very soon with uh, another episode.